Our today's scripture is from the book of Acts, chapter 8, verse 1 to 4. I'll read from the ESV. And Saul approved of his execution. And there arose on that day a great persecution against the church in Jerusalem. And they were all scattered throughout the regions of Judea and Samaria, except the apostles. Devout men buried Stephen and made great lamentation over him. But Paul, Basol was ravaging the church and entering house after house. He dragged off men and women and committed them to prison. Now those who were scattered went about preaching the word. This is the word of the Lord. Hi guys, welcome, welcome to church. We're going to be Acts chapter 8 verses 1 to 4. Starting today, we're going to return to the book of Acts. We were here last year for about seven weeks. We wanted to actually spend next four years. I think my mic's on and off. Hold on. Is this okay? Am I good? Mic test. All right. Uh, next four years, we're going to spend about six to eight weeks. So we're going to come back every year for about six to eight weeks. So we're going to spend this summer from this week on for the next two months through the book of Acts. One of the reasons why we intentionally designed this series to last us four years, not to make you guys tired of Acts, but really we wanted to create intentional space. I think I need a new mic because this is coming in and out, so can, can you guys help me with that? We wanted to create an intentional space uh, annually to help us really process and think about what it means for you and I to belong to community, right? Two and a half years into this pandemic, uh, post this pandemic, post pandemic, I think there has been a lot of conversation about what does it mean for you and I to belong to a church? What does it mean for us to be part of a local body? Um, some of us have really missed physical gatherings like this. When I hang out with you guys, you guys tell me, man, Pastor Sangmin, I love coming here and worshiping. It's so different from being online. Others of us have completely gone online. You do small groups online, you watch us, and you really embrace uh, opportunity to be able to worship digitally. And we have this conversation, right? Even pre-pandemic, I remember somebody introduced me to a guy in a blockchain world. This guy runs a successful incubator for all these blockchain companies. And I, he just wanted to meet with me. I thought it was just a uh, friendly conversation over coffee. And at the end of the conversation, he's like, Pastor Sangmin, I want to create a digital church. And he's like, and I'm like, what do you mean digital church? Like, you want to create a website? And then he's like, I want to create a digital church where people like me, oh, that this digital tribe, and he was using this language. This is pre-metaverse conversation, right? Like before I knew there was going to be metaverse, he's like talking about this digital church and how they, people in this digital circle are looking for a church in the digital space. So I was like, well, what does that mean? Are we, we going to just all be avatars and meeting? And he was trying to explain to me, right? this is like five years ago. And I remember thinking, wow, like this idea of what it means for you and I to belong to a church is being really challenged. Or really, I think it's, it's an opportunity for us out of pandemic to really think about not just return to the way we did church, but to think about what does it mean that we belong to one another in this Jesus community. So with that in mind, I, I, I felt like we needed to create intentional space as a church to really walk through the book of Acts because the book of Acts is what? It's this unique book where Luke, the physician, has attempted to write and record the first 30 years of church's birth and first 30 years of church's story to be able to be not only reminded, 
but to give us ideas and, 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 and pro space to process. What does it mean that we belong to a local body? How does that really apply to us in 2022? So this is where sort of this idea came to, to really think about church reimagined, the book, The Church Empowered. Uh, and so there's, and, and when you think about Book of Acts, I don't know if you've read through Book of Acts. I don't know when was the last time you read through Book of Acts. It is a very unique book, right? There, there's nothing quite like this book. If you, if you notice, we have four Gospels, right? Beginning of New Testament, four Gospels in your Bibles. But there's only one sequel called the Book of Acts. And many scholars, actually, they, they debate about this. Why, why are there four different Gospel accounts? And there's only one sequel to the story, Many scholars argue the part of the reason is because what happened in the first 30 years of the church or church's existence is near impossible to write about. The explosive growth, P Peter, filled with the Spirit, preaches and thousands of people come and give their life to Jesus. Right, the supernatural move of God, people being healed left, right. Peter's shadow passes by people and people are healed. And, and the disruptive nature of the gospel, churches persecuted, and the gospel moves out of Jerusalem onto other regions, and the persecution does not hinder the gospel, but it actually fuels the gospel. And Luke, many scholars believe Luke was the only person who was daring enough to take on this daunting task to try to tell this story. Again, Luke was a trained physician. He, he gives us his introduction in the Gospel of Luke that he's a trained physician. And he has heard many stories about this man, Jesus, and he wants to give an orderly account. Right? So he, he writes not only the, the Gospel of Luke, but the book of Acts as a follow-up follow to that story. And through this book, Luke gives us a rare window to how church was birth, but also what Jesus wanted from his body. So today we pick up the story. We were last year in Luke chapter 1 to chapter 7. We pick up the story from chapter 8. And we'll be here, chapter 8, 9, 10, 11, 12. Other pastors and elders will be teaching this summer through uh, 8 to 12. So we'll be here for this summer. So if you want to read with us throughout the week, uh, that's what we'll be for the next six, seven weeks. So just to catch us up, because not all of us were here last year. You know, we, we turn people over every year. Uh, let me just give you a quick review, quick context of where we are in the story. Acts 1, Jesus, be, before leaving his disciples, before going to the Father, he, he said what? He said, wait for the promised Spirit. When the Spirit comes, you'll know what to do. And in chapter 2, the Holy Spirit came, and we know this event to be the event of Pentecost. As the promised Spirit comes... Right? The church is instantly not only birthed, but they experience tremendous growth in the first few, few, few days of its existence. And all of the growth happened in the city of Jerusalem. Even though Jesus said in Luke Acts 1, hey, you're going to go and take the gospel beyond the city of Jerusalem, all of the growth in chapters 1 to 7 happened in the city of Jerusalem. Right? Um, and it's not until chapter 4 to chapter 7. There's so much growth in chapters 1 to 3. And then it's chapters 4, beginning chapter 4, there's a persecution. Right? Peter and John, they're arrested. Right? 
And, 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 and chapter 7, right, there's more and more violence against the church, persecution against the church in Jerusalem. And it's by chapter 7, chapter 7 ends with this powerful sermon by a man named Stephen, one of the first deacons, a young man, knowledgeable in scripture, filled with the spirit. He's preaching to a crowd, an angry mob, and he tells them why Jesus is the savior they've been looking for. And chapter 7 ends with Stephen being taken out of the city and being stoned to death. And Luke tells us, right, it's in this tragic scene we are introduced to a man named Saul who will later go by his other name, Paul. And we know him as an apostle Paul. Saul is in this scene affirming the death of Stephen, approving the death of and it is also in chapter 8, it tells us Saul is the one who leads all this all-out war against the church. That's what we read in Acts 8, verses 1 through 4. And this is where we pick up the story. So it's, it's in chapter 8, Stephen dies. One of the young, bright leaders of the church is martyred. In chapter 8, Saul, this man Saul comes into the story and he ravages the church, going after the Christians, putting them in prison. And for the first time in chapter 8, the church in Jerusalem, since its birth, this, this young infant church experiences a major trial and tribulation. Again, their young bright leader is killed. Many in their community have, have been put in prison. Many don't know what will happen following the death. There's an intense persecution. And verse 1 tells us, there was this intense persecution. There was death of their leader. They were all scattered throughout the regions of Judea and Samaria. You see, despite the fierce opposition and attack and persecution against the church, what's really interesting, right, verses 1 to 3 in chapter 8 talks about this intense persecution that Saul was going around putting people in prison. And then all of a sudden in chapter, in verse 4, it tells us people are going around and preaching the gospel beyond the walls of Jerusalem. Despite these things, God's plan is continuing to be carried out. Remember, this was the plan from the very beginning. Jesus knew that this was going to happen. And it's the persecution that fuels the movement of the gospel. And, and notice it's not because a mission plan is approved and executed by the apostles. Not because people wanted to go plant new churches outside of Jerusalem. Not because people in these areas, the Samaritans and the Judeans, asked them to come and plant a church. No, it's because ordinary believers took the opportunities given to them to reach the gospel, to take the gospel wherever they went. So here's a major biblical theme, and this is where this is the main idea that I want to land on, this biblical theme that we see throughout the scripture from Genesis to Revelation, persecution, opposition, trials, pushback, setbacks. We, we see it throughout the story. Story of Abraham, story of David, story of Isaac, story of Jacob. All these setbacks and pushbacks and oppositions and trials, they do not hinder the move of God. Instead, it fuels that God, we see God who is sovereign, continues to carry out his original plan. And, and again, in fact, this was not only true in the life of the early church that we see in Acts 8. 
It is also true in many places around the globe today. Maybe not Korea, maybe not U.S., maybe not where you're from, but a lot of majority world where the persecution against the church is fierce, there is tremendous growth. Actually, the fastest growing churches are usually found in these countries and cities where persecution is tremendous. Last four and a half years, as we planted this church, we also, from the very beginning, wanted to support a church plant in Kathmandu, Nepal. And we've been in partnership with them. We're grateful for their partnership for the gospel over the last four and a half years. And if you don't know, Nepal's current government is very hostile to any type of evangelism, any type of church planting, and, and they really tightened down uh, what the church was doing in that city. And many, many churches were shut down. Many people were put in prison. prison. Yet amazing thing is every month when we get updates from our partners in Nepal, right, we are, we are they, they share these wonderful things that God is doing in midst of this great persecution, this hardship, challenges. The, the church that we support, you know, they're, they're, they're a church plan like ours with that much funding. A, a young, passionate Nepalese pastor who studied here, we became friends and planted the church. You know, they had a hard time, right, just trying to rent a space on weekends because landowners did not want churches meeting in their space, Right? I mean, they went through so much hardship and persecution throughout. Just little things were just so hard. Yet we get these updates every month that, that people are coming to know Jesus. They're baptizing, you know, people in this region, that region. They're planting new communities. I think they planted over five communities, right, outside of Kathmandu in the last five years, last four and a half years that we've been with them. So we're just so thankful to see that despite the persecution, despite the hardship, the gospel is being, actually, it's, it's, it's because of persecution, the gospel is being moved forward. A Gallup study, a, a, a pretty uh, established a survey company, Gallup study shows that belief in God and participation in worship have been on decline in recent decades in most for, first world countries. Right Between... Last 60 years, right? Last 60 years, belief in God declined by close to 40% in most of Europe. 25% in Australia. We don't have to look far, right, uh, to, to make that connection. In this country, right, in Korea, about 20 years ago, year 2000, this is the first time I came, to, about when I came to Korea, 31% were considered Christians, both Catholics and Protestants, by 2006, we sent more missionaries than any other country, only behind United States. But, you know, since 2000, probably that year 2000, last 20 years, there have been a steep decline, a rapid decline. Um, there's, there's many studies done, uh, and I don't know how, the, I don't know how, um, how well these studies have been done, but I've heard different numbers. But what's true about Christianity in Korea yeah, there are mega churches. Like, I think 10 biggest churches in the world are in Korea. But if you look deeper into these numbers, you realize, according to certain studies, only 2 to 4% college-age students consider themselves to be a, a, a Christian who, who is actively practicing their faith. So 2 to 4%. 4, if you're generous, 2 that's like Japan, when you think about it. Like the church that we're meeting, this space. When you come here at like 11 o'clock, there are no young people in this church. 
Everybody's like 60 and above. And this is not just our ch- this church that we're renting from. There, most churches in this city, unless they're really geared towards like ministering to young people, they have no young people. Like young people, when pastors tell me their young people are in their 50s, I'm like, they're young 50s? So it's not this persecution or opposition or hardship that hinders the gospel, but it's actually something else. When we look at the numbers, when we look at even this city, it's, it's not persecution, opposition. It's actually what? It's comfort and wealth. There's a direct correlation. Comfort and wealth is actually what hinders from the gospel experience you know, growing out of us onto other areas that God is calling us to go. Because friends, when you think about it, we live in a city with a total religious freedom. Like nobody today came here thinking they might get in trouble by coming to church. Total religious freedom. Yet church has declined quickly. It's, it's, not, even, it's not even about pandemic. I think pandemic has sped up the process, but churches in this city were already losing people left and right. And, 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 and the thing that hinders our growth and maturity is, is very different from what our friends in Nepal are dealing with. You see, for, for our friends in Nepal, for them to believe in Jesus, to belong to a community means they've counted the cost. They've accepted the risk and consequences to follow Jesus, right? Yet, yet I'm sure, I'm not sure how many of us that belong to this community or belong to a different community really have thought about the cost of belonging to a community. I know I haven't. You know how, how I know? A few years ago, I was visiting Nepal. And every time I go, it's like an intense trip. Our partner pastor there I don't know why he sets up like meetings from morning to night and every meeting turns to this like long prayer meeting and I'm like just sitting there because they're praying, you know, in, in, in Nepali and I'm just sitting there right for like hours and hours. So after a while, I just got annoyed. I remember like in the middle of the show, I was like, oh, I'm so tired. The weather was hot. They put me in this like cheap uh, hostel with no AC. I was like so annoyed. The food is tough, right? I loved it for like a day and I was like, okay, I need some Korean, Korean kimchi, kimchi or something, right? And I remember feeling just like so annoyed. And, and I, I, you know, I didn't want to show it. I'm, I'm on a, like a mission trip. I didn't want to like show. I think when I was young, I was a lot happier that I'm getting, I'm, I'm getting older. I'm becoming like an older, like grumpy, grumpy man that I did not want to become. I remember just having bad attitude. And then in the middle of the week, uh, the, our partner pastor there, he's like, hey, I want you to meet some of the local pastors. And I'm like, dude, man, I'm so tired. Let me just rest. Um, but he took me there and I sat across this elderly gentleman he was like five one they're all five one they're not they're not very tall um and just older gentleman very soft-spoken i'm sitting there i'm like almost falling asleep i'm like what's going on and this man begins to tell his story through a translator our partner and he's like he he grew up as a hindu grew up in the middle of nowhere i think he was a serpa serpa serpas are the people that that guide people to climb mount everest and he 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 was young grew up in hindu left the city for a different opportunity, heard the gospel, and really felt convicted about going back to his hometown to preach the gospel. But he knew, in, you know, in these rural areas of Nepal, it's not like Kathmandu. 
They're very, very hostile to the gospel. You could be put in prison. You could, there are radical Hinduism going on in these rural areas. But he knew the danger. He knew that if he went back, what, it, it, it could mean that he could be imprisoned. He could be beaten. But he was like, you know what, I'm, convict, I'm, I'm convinced. If Jesus is real, I want my family to receive Jesus. That's another thing I, I'm always surprised by. Because I think when, when we talk about our family members who are not saved or our close friends, I don't know if we're that passionate about them knowing Jesus. But every time I visit these places, I just see the passion. Like all of the Nepali Christians I meet, they're like, I got to go back home and preach the gospel. That's like everybody's heart. So I remember um, him telling me his story. He's like, I went back. I started, you know, sharing the gospel with my friends. And then they put me in prison. So he spent some time there. He's like, he got out. They told him, hey, don't do this or leave our, leave our town. We don't want you to do any of these preaching. Guess what he did? He went back again, continued to preach the gospel. Went to, like, he went to prison like six times. I'm like, dude, by fourth time, would you figure it out? But you know what? He's like, no, I had no other choice because my family did not know Jesus. My friends did not know Jesus. And here I am sitting across this man complaining about weather, complaining about food, complaining about language. And, and, and every time I go, right, they, they want me to come and teach and, and they give me the seat of honor. But I realize, man, every time I go, I'm learning. I'm learning how shallow my faith is. I'm learning how, how weak my faith is. And I, I'm, I'm able to see what is important and what is not. But this doesn't mean people living in a city like Seoul, we don't have our battles, that we have our battles. Our battles aren't as obvious as battles that our, our friends fight in majority world or, or countries that are hostile to the gospel. Most of our battles are, are subtle, uh, maybe unseen. Maybe we don't even recognize it. That's what makes them so effective because we don't even know what we're fighting. We just wake up and go and repeat. But we all have our battles. And maybe some of our battles are different. Some of you guys are dealing with sickness. Some of you guys are dealing with emotional health. Some of you guys are dealing with, you know, different battles that we fight. But I think there's a one battle that is common to everyone that calls soul home that lives in this city or that have visited this city. And let me just give you an illustration to explain this one uh, thing that we all, all struggle with or one common thing that keeps us from really growing in our faith and really investing into other people coming to know Jesus. It's, there's this Japanese prank show. I don't know if you guys like Japanese shows. They're really bizarre. There's like this Netflix show where they send these like young little toddlers to do these crazy things. It's just Japanese shows are really fascinating. But this is one Japanese prank show. This is like in the 90s. You can Google it. The show's premise is that they have hidden cameras everywhere. And they create certain scenes to see how people will react. People that are caught in camera, they just don't know what's happening, right? In one episode, this is what like living in Seoul is like. In one episode, as, people, as, as, as a person is walking down the street, say, I'm walking this way. It's a small street. They're walking down. Out of nowhere, all of a sudden, there are 100 people running towards you. This is all planned. And, and, and as they're running towards you, 9 out of 10 people, guess what they do? 
They don't even look, they don't even look at what's coming, be, what's, what's chasing the crowd. They literally just turn and go. They sprint as fast as they can. So in the post-interview, they, they asked one of these guys, like, why'd you run? Like, why'd you all of a sudden decide to run the other way when you're walking in one direction? And, and, and every nine out of ten people say they simply didn't want, did not want to fall behind. They didn't want to lose out or they, they didn't care what was coming. They just wanted to be ahead of the crowd. And I think that's sort of, that's a good illustration of how many of us feel when we live in a mega city like Seoul. Often much of what we do, what we pursue, what we consume, how we spend our time, or what we participate in, they're, they're hugely Im- impacted by the fear of falling behind. Like, I'll give you an example. I have a really nice car. My father-in-law uh, traded my car for his, and it's this really nice SUV, five year, seven years old. Love it. Then all of a sudden, my friends, one after another, they started getting these uh, minivans. Like this year, like two of them got these Sorrentos, like these minivans. And you know, all of a sudden, I'm like, dude, I want a minivan. Even though I love my SUV, since my friends got it, I want the minivan life. And, and I'm, I, I never wanted minivan in my life. never thought growing up, like, I want a minivan, right? That's not something you want. But again, it's like I see my friends, and they're telling me, oh, they could go on this, uh, they could go on the highway, and they can go on the other lane. And like, they tell me all these features, and I'm like, wow, minivans are so cool. They're not that cool. But again, most of us, don't even have space to think about why, what, or how we feel because we are so constantly busy. So we choose to run and run and run because, simply because we're afraid that we may be falling behind. I mean, parents, like, we send our first daughter to Korean school. You know, she never uh, studied Korean before. So, you know, she goes to school and we were expecting first grade. They teach her how to read Korean, how to write Korean. No, everybody in the school knows how to read books, how to read novels in, in schools. I'm just like, so Lois and I are always feeling the pressure to like, oh, man, we got to keep up. They're learning swimming. It's 200 bucks. Sign her up. Let's do it. Like 200 bucks, like once a week, you know. We, feel, we, we have this constant pressure to just keep up, and we have no idea why, right? I give you examples upon examples of decisions we make as a family because of how we feel. But maybe, just maybe, you aren't one of nine out of these ten people. You are that one person who will not run with the crowd. In in the show, if you watch, there's like one old man who just continues to walk across the crowd. It's It's like so funny, right? Maybe you're that person. You're not easily influenced. You're not impressed. People like this, they're not easily impressed. You like doing things differently. Maybe that's you. When everybody buys Nike, you decide to buy Adidas. Not, nothing wrong with Adidas, but you know, you know what I mean? When everyone buys an iPhone or a Samsung phone, you decide to get a Sony phone. You're like, I want to be different. Um, so you feel no pressure or have no desire to keep up like what we've been talking about. Yet this doesn't mean, just, just because you're that person, this doesn't mean you don't have anything you desire. It's just that your desires may be different from majority of the people. So it's however you may define good life or success. 
Right? These values or ideas are often in competition for our attention, our time, and our passion. And I, and I think from Acts 8, the one thing we can glean is these are the things that keep us from being intentional about our faith. Intentional about growing and learning and investing into the lives of those that are in our lives. So again, it is not persecution. It is not opposition or trials that we're fighting against in this city. It's often seemingly good things. Like even full-time ministry, let me just share honestly, right? Full-time ministry. I, I confess to you, there's a real battle in me as I, as, as I planted this church and leading this church I have my own vision or values or desires, or ideas about what it means for our church to be successful, right? If a church could be successful or be doing well as a community. And, and whatever those things may be, they can be good things like desiring to grow. Like I want our church to grow. Um, desire to be excellent in what we do. I want us to have excellent production and excellent things. Desire to be influential in the city. I want us to be invited into the city to make decisions and to, to support in that way. Yet if any of those things become the goal of why we exist or why I do ministry, we could do a lot of work and totally miss the mark. I mean, that's a constant lesson God's teaching me. He's telling me, what you think is good for the church is not good for the church. You know, recent years, maybe it's the news, maybe it's the media, so many pastors have either stepped down or quit in the middle of a pandemic. The numbers are, are, are unbelievable. The number of pastors that have stepped away from ministry. And we have heard too many stories of pastors caught in some sort of scandal, whether it's Hillsong, whether it's other places. And it's easy to hear these stories and assume, hear their stories and assume that they're just terrible people. And that they are different from us or different from me. It's very tempting for me to do that. But I don't think that's true at all. I think I'm a lot like, we are a lot like these people. I think we were in this, if we were in the same situation, I don't know if we could do things differently. And I think one of the major common challenges, I've been listening to this podcast, Fall of Mars Hill, Rise and Fall of Mars Hill. I think one of the common themes of, you know, ministry that's, that's no longer existing or, or, or pastor, pastor that have stepped down. I think somewhere along the way, many of us have fallen in love with our own vision of success. Right? I, I don't imagine someone thinking, wake up one morning and says, I want to be a pastor to make a lot of money and be famous. I don't think many people would do that. But I think many people wake up, and I'm tempted in this way, like, oh, I have this vision. I have this goal, and I want to make sure we, we get there as a church. So friends, I need this reminder, like Acts 8, and you need this reminder. And let me just keep it simple for you guys as I wrap up. Friends, I know many of us struggle with this pressure to do better, to do more. 
to give more, to pray more, to read more. I, I, I don't know your relationship, but your Christianity. I don't know how you grew up in your homes. Maybe your parents are really strict about certain things. But when I look at Scripture, this is clear, that God has not called you and I to be successful. He has not called us to be influential. He has not called us to achieve greater things. I don't see that in Scripture. But you know what I do see? I do see in Scripture is that he has called us to be faithful. It's like this, 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 this drawing, right? I had to redraw this picture because I, originally I had the tree much bigger. I was like, okay, it's too big. And I think that, that that's, that's naturally I drew a giant tree because in my mind I still operate that way. I need to be successful better and do more. And I realized, okay, I got to draw this again because it's not really about the tree. It's about the water and being planted. It's about being faithful. Maybe it's boring. Maybe it's mundane. It's not flashy. But I think the world does not need another influential Christian or another rich, another wealthy, another successful Christian. That's not the reason why people aren't coming to know Jesus. I think it's because we have forgotten what God has called us to be, to be faithful. It can be smaller than that. It doesn't have to be that big of a tree. It can be smaller than that. But to be faithful, to be committed, to do the hard things daily, to, to treat our coworkers with respect and love, to treat our spouses the way you want to be treated, to enter work and not just think, I need to get what I need to get, but to say, how can I really serve my coworkers? How can I really serve my, my, my boss, how can I really serve this, this company? How can I really raise up our children? Like parenting is so hard. I tell you every week, how do I raise up my daughters not to do what I want them to do, but to really follow Jesus, to really be able to make decisions when they're old, to say, man, you know what? I don't know, because you know what? The world is changing so quickly. I think about all these conversations, all these ideas that, the, that, that my daughters will enter when they go to school, when they watch TV, and when they're exposed to these things. I, I'm afraid of the conversation. Now I, like my, Emma would ask me these questions about sexuality and gender, and I'm like, oh my goodness, okay, I don't want to talk about this. I was going to go, let's, let's watch something else. But really, what our kids or what our friends, what our bosses and coworkers, people that do not know Jesus need to see is people that are faithful. You see, when Jesus hung on that Roman tree, everyone mocked him. Everyone thought, man, this man had failed. His mission, his movement is gone. They sped at him, right? The crowd came and sped at him saying he saved others, but he cannot save himself. This movement is done. Yet Jesus faithfully hung there in silence. He didn't say anything. He didn't rebuttal what people were saying. He didn't judge people. He faithfully remained on that tree. He did that. For you and I, he did that not only to save us, to show us what it means to truly live. 
And there on that Roman tree, he has truly shown us what it means to live in his own image, what it means for you and I to really model Christ. Amen? Not success, guys. Not wealth. Sure, if God gives you those things in the process, that's great. That's wonderful. But those things in and of themselves cannot be our goal. But faithfulness, humility, daily obedience. Amen? Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for Acts. We thank you for this wonderful book that's been written 2,000, hundreds of years ago. Lord, we're thankful that we get to not only um, study, but to be able to really reimagine what it means for, you, for all of us to belong to this one body or belong to a different community. Lord, continue to speak to us, continue to challenge us, continue to convict us, God, if there are any areas of our lives that have been misaligned, if any of us feel like they're stuck in this wheel of having to do more, to do better, to give more, to achieve more, Lord, help us unlearn and to really see you, Jesus, on that tree. You had every right to come down from that tree and judge us, but you, you chose to stay there to give us life. To, to live the life that we could not live, to die the death that we deserve because of us, for us. That's what we celebrate here today, and that's what we want to celebrate through our lives. We thank you. Just and we pray. Amen.